The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. As you gear up for the biggest game in the NFL season, Podcast One is teaming up with the Underdog Network to be your one-stop shop for all things football. As the big game draws closer, Chris Horwadell is joined by the Dan Patrick Show Danettes for their NFL postseason analysis. I, I, I don't disagree with you. This could be one of the ugliest games of football of all time, uh, which the Jaguars were already a part of one of those against the Colts this year, so we'll see True. if they replicate that. Check out the Underdog Network and the Dan Patrick Show every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. Hello to all of our YouTube friends. And of course, everyone where, Sam? In podcast land. Is yes. that what you call it? That's a place. That's what I say. Yeah. That's what I say. It's becoming my thing. Uh-huh. We, yeah. It certainly we is. We said we yeah. needed a thing, right? That's that's it. Podcast That's, that's an interesting thing to hit your wagon to. Sorry. Anyway, uh, we're What else are we here excited. with? Oh, yeah. We're here with the PFF New belts, the championship belts. This the is MVP championship belt. Yeah, so we sitting have a, on the desk between us. We have a yearly PFF award for the most valuable player at the company, and um, I actually I actually know who's going to win it. I could see his name. His yeah, name is yeah, already yeah. on uh, one of the straps here. And but it's we neither can't. of us. Uh, it's he or she, I should say. Yes, he or she. And, uh, he or she is not us. It's not us. Neither of us is winning this thing. But we know who it is, and we'll be presenting this to uh, him or her. At the PFF Christmas party, which of course happens in January, because you know we're all working during Christmas time. Right. Um, but this was great. This was your idea. I mean, we, we both came up with it, right? Maybe it was. I may have brought it up initially. I think I I've, pitched it to you. And I've been wanting a belt okay forever. It. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wants a good belt, but we we pitched it to the bosses, and they yeah. loved it. Um, so we give a belt, and we present the belt to uh, to the MVP. Yeah, once a year now. So it might make its appearance on the podcast all the time. I might just wear it around the office sometimes just for fun. Well, it's supposed to go up on the wall in the office. No. It's I mean, not. if all I'm saying is if that's going to happen, it needs to be some kind of belt receptacle that it could be easily removed from. It needs to be mobile. I mean, yes. it needs to be we need to pass it around. Uh if somebody does something good on a weekly basis, I think they get full control of the belt for a week like Stanley Cup style. Yeah, I like that. You know, I think that's because we have, you know, full disclosure, we have a Hackenberg jersey around the office. Jets Hackenberg a Christian jersey. Hackenberg Jets jersey. And if you screw up, past screw-ups include, but not limited to, uh, leaving all sorts of dishes in the sink. Yeah. And um, basically, what did uh, what did the intern do? 
Uh, he, <laughs> he tossed a whole bunch of trash from the inside of his car over the fence into like the, you know, the alley behind the office. I don't mean to call him the intern. It was Evan, right. Evan the intern. Unbeknownst to him, the entire thing was like on CCTV. Also, he did it at the exact moment that Neil, you know, the COO, was walking past a lot at the time, looking in at him yeah. doing that. He had two weeks of Hackenberg yeah. jersey, yeah. I think, from that. So the Hackenberg is when you do something poorly. We have a Joe Flacco jersey when you do something just kind of bad. Mm. You know, like leave a couple too many mugs out. You know, you just make a mess. Don't clean up after yourself. But we need a reward, and that's what the belt is for. Right. It's just too much of the stick, not enough of the carrot. So now we've got the carrot. Yeah. And you know what? Whether I earn it or not, I'm still going to probably wear it and carry it around the office what's, at all times. What's really interesting is quite how close to like a regular belt buckle you were able to make that when you put it on. <laughs> like you are such a large human being that that actually does is, not yeah. look like an oversized novelty WWE championship belt around you. It looks like a slightly oversized you know, cowboy belt buckle. Looks like a kid's belt. Yeah. We would, um, I could use it to keep up my britches, even. Is that okay. right? Sure. Is that the terminal? Okay, we've wasted too many people's time. Yeah. Let's especially, get into the game. Especially the people who can't see it. All right, we, we forgot to tease. We got to tease. We, gotta, we need a professional tease here. We have a special guest today. It is a guy who, if we were on his show and you were on his show this week, yeah, he would introduce us with just... So much energy. Glowing praise. Glowing praise. Absolutely. It's Ross Tucker from, among other things, the Ross Tucker podcast, football mm-hmm. podcast, Ross Tucker football podcast, Sirius XM, NFL channel. Former and, NFL player. Former NFL player. That's It's kind of like George Foreman. Now he's known for the grill, not for boxing. Right. Ross Tucker is now known for all of his media work. Yeah. And it's like, oh, by the way, he also played in yes. the NFL. So we're going to be here. We're going to interview Ross Tucker at the end of the show and uh, go through all of the divisional round matchups with him. Yeah. Get his take on the big games as well. Yeah, so stay tuned for Ross. Right now, we're going to go game by game, though. Divisional round, one of the best weeks of football of the year. You've got the four best teams in the NFL. You have the teams that all won last week. It always ends up in some pretty good matchups. Let's go chronologically. Starting Saturday afternoon, the Chiefs hosting the Indianapolis Colts at Arrowhead. Colts are hot. They're like, everyone's a little darling. Let me just say this. Do you think... There's just this wild card bump that teams get. You know, all these other half the teams are on a bye. You just saw these four teams win last week, and people get a little excited about what they just saw. The Colts played a great game against the Texans. Does that overrate the Colts a little bit as we go into this matchup with the Chiefs? Yeah, probably a little bit, but they are, by almost any possible measure, riding some kind of hot streak, right? This team had to win an awful lot down the stretch just to get in, having gone one and five to start the season. Right. So there's probably some kind of bump that happens coming out of wild card games obviously one of these teams has to lose one has to win so you tend to ride the one that's won as a little bit of a um, danger heading into a game where a team has just been sitting on its ass during a bye Um, but I think the Colts are legit they've shown this idea that Andrew Luck has been transformed into the best version of Andrew Luck within this Frank Reich offense Um, the defense has continued to I would say overachieve over the course of the whole season we talked about that before so this is a very um, interesting team that has some history of knocking over the Chiefs. Oh, in the playoffs. you brought up the history. It did. Well, it's not relevant necessarily for the Chiefs because, you know, Patrick Mahomes wasn't there at the time. But it kind of is relevant to the Colts because Luck was. And it's the kind of game that Luck would have to win if they're going to win this game, which is a shootout and a ton of points and Captain Andrew Luck riding to the rescue in the fourth quarter. 2013 in. The Dome in Indianapolis. Andrew Luck had one of the most classic Andrew Luck games. Right. Pick sixes, 
bad decisions. They were down, what, 21 nothing. Yeah, a ton. And then just makes throw after throw after throw to, to, dig, to dig them out of the hole. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like your classic Andrew Luck game. The thing that's different about him, at least since about week five or six, he's cut down on those turnover-worthy plays. And all of the data, we've mentioned it on the show multiple times now, 9% more clean pockets this year, the most clean pockets he's ever thrown from in a, in a season, the third most accurate quarterback in a clean pocket, the most touchdowns from a clean pocket. Everything that the Colts have done around Andrew Luck has turned him into, I mean, the, the number three quarterback in the NFL per our grades. It's been a... Uh, he's always been good. 2016, he jumped up into that top four, top five range for us from a grade standpoint, and he's back there again this year, helped a lot by the supporting cast. Yeah, by, by PFF grade, this is the best season of his career now. It's uh, up at 92. His best season before that was just above 90, that, that uh, season you talked about. So we are seeing the best version of Andrew Luck. I, I think it's, it's an interesting dynamic because the logic before was basically Luck is so good that we can put everything on his shoulders right. and he'll make something happen. And I think there's a temptation for some coaches to do that if you have a guy that is insanely good to just ride them at the uh, exclusion of everything else. I think you kind of see some of that with Aaron Rodgers. So we don't need to concentrate too hard on everything else because Aaron Rodgers, like he'll get it done. Right. He's so good. But it turns out that if you actually, um, if you actually treat a really, really good NFL quarterback like a regular NFL quarterback, you have to kind of help out a little bit schematically it it magnifies the impact that has. It makes their life easier, and because they're so much better, they can show you that within the confines of the system that helps them out. So we're probably going to see something like that with uh, Aaron Rodgers moving forward. And with Luck, we're seeing it this year, that yes, he could do that stuff on his own because he's that good, but if in addition to that you help him out schematically and you make things easier for him generally you just get a better result overall. And the difficult stuff we're talking about, we're talking about deeper drops, you know, full field progressions, all these things that Luck is very capable of doing. But if you mix in some quick game, you mix right. in more play action and easier throws. With the difficult stuff, then you got the well-balanced player. Um, some of the other results that have come out of this year, uh, Andrew Luck, the first uh, few years of his career, 2012 through 16, he was hit once every six dropbacks, either sacked or knocked down. This year, one every nine. So from one every six, which was highest in the NFL, to one every nine, which is 10th best. I mean, just all of the numbers pointing to, my goodness, Andrew Luck with the best supporting cast he's ever had. And it's not because he's got great receivers. It's more the scheme and the offensive line that's the best he's ever had around him. But what is interesting is that as much as they, he was only sacked 18 times, um, which is a great figure, and everybody looks at that and says, well, this offensive line is amazing. You've got Quentin Nelson. He's out there teabagging people left and right. You only gave up 18 sacks. This offensive line is one of the best in the league now. They did give up 150-plus total pressures, which is like 15th in the right. NFL. So they're still surrendering a decent amount of pressure. It's just that that quick game is what's enabling that to be just pressure and not sacks. Right. The, the idea that he's getting the ball out of his hands a lot quicker is mitigating the pressure that does come from that offensive line, which is dramatically cut down from years previous. Right? They're not up right. at 200 anymore. They're down at 150 in the middle of the pack. And because they're getting the ball out of his hands fast, middle of the pack looks like top 10, looks like one of the best in the league. So again, this Frank Reich offense isn't just helping out luck. It's helping out the offensive line, which in turn is helping out luck. Everything is better because of this. Right. Yeah. So we don't live in a black and white world all the time, right? The no. offensive line is better and the scheme is helping them out. Both yep. things are true. Um, the other thing to watch out now from a matchup standpoint, the Chiefs defensively haven't done a great job of stopping people. They've shown signs of life at times. 
But where they are good is the, the trio up front of Chris Jones, D. Ford, and Justin Houston. When all those guys are on the field and healthy together, one of the better trios in the NFL. They've got the second most pressures as a trio since week 10. Chris Jones has been unblockable at times this year. So the individual matchups we're watching here, Chris Jones, when he lines up against Quinton Nelson, that's awesome, right? Quinton Nelson has been great yep. as a rookie over the last six or well, more like 10 to 12 weeks. He started out slow. So Quentin Nelson versus Chris Jones. D. Ford going up against the other rookie, Braden Smith at right tackle. Justin Houston going up against Anthony Costanzo at left tackle. Th- those are some of the matchups that will help determine this game because the Chiefs need all the pressure they can get because of how inconsistent they are on the back end. Yeah, they do. I mean, the, the Chiefs' defense is fascinating because we know the offense is going to put up points against pretty much anybody. And in every game they play, the X factor is how much can their defense slow down the opposition so that this isn't a 54-51 game. Like, how much right. can they... How, basically, how many points can their defense limit the opposition to so that they know what target they need to surpass on <laughs> right. offense? That's kind of what every Chiefs game is. Um, and because their coverage... Like, they're heading into the season, it looked like their secondary and their coverage might be the worst unit in the NFL. And it isn't that bad. It's just that nobody is great in that secondary. They've got a bunch of guys that are reasonable, okay... Um, any okay player in secondary coverage is going to get burned at times, and you know, it's like so a Stephen Nelson. You're right. describing Stephen Nelson to a T, the guy that's faced uh, right. So because, the most targets in the NFL, and because he's facing the most targets, and they're on the field a ton, you see him get beat a lot, and people go, "Well, Stephen Nelson sucks. He's terrible. He's getting toasted. He's get you know all this kind of stuff, and he is getting beaten a lot. But a lot of that is because." He's getting thrown at more than anybody else. He's on the field more than anybody else. And there's a lot of passes coming his way. And because he isn't great. And anybody that isn't great at corner is going to give up a lot of passes that come their way. You know, the, the best players in the NFL this season are allowing 50% of the passes thrown their way to be caught. So the best guys are giving up one out of every two passes right. that come their way. The guys like Steven Nelson that are not the best are giving up considerably more than that. So you're going to see a lot of plays where they're beaten, and that applies to all of this secondary. So it makes them look, I think, a lot worse than they actually are. But they do need help up front. They're not going to be great. They're not going to be the reason this team stops an offense from scoring. That's going to come from the pass rush that can be legitimately great and try and mitigate some of the throws that are coming out. Yeah, and I think bottom line here, Andrew Luck in this passing offense, when you look at teams that can compete with the Chiefs, you know, it's it's a quarterback that can go head to head with the offense because as good as the the Colts defense may have played against Deshaun Watson, and even that's debatable because Watson was pretty bad. I don't know if they're slowing down Patrick Mahomes. So Andrew Luck, he's got shootout win possibility in him, right? He's got that ability. It will it will take you know offensive line taking care of him, but I think Luck you know Luck can go out there and make things happen against the secondary. Yeah. Nelson, by the way, is among the league leaders in terms of completion percentage allowed. 53.1%, which is like 13th. Uh, you can move that number down a little bit if you weed out a lot of guys that played significantly fewer snaps than him. Part of that is people are challenging him down the field. He's got the sixth highest average right. depth of target, so he's, 14.8. But he's, you know, the same. That's what I'm saying is that he's among the better people in terms of completion percentage allowed and it's 50 50 right Right. so you're you're going to give up a ton of passes if the ball is thrown your way a lot that's just the nature of cornerback play these days all right let's check out the other side of the ball because you know chiefs fans they're not they're they're kind of like vikings fans right eric eager i mean you guys well one is well you keep remembering all the uh all the heartbreak well there's a lot of history at home and all these different things but patrick mahomes is the guy to solve all of this, 
Patrick Mahomes is the guy. I don't think he's going to be phased by any, by any of this. And the matchup with Patrick Mahomes going against this Colts defense, the thing I'm looking for, the Colts play as much zone as any team in the NFL, and Patrick Mahomes is the highest-graded quarterback against zone coverage. This is, you know, Mahomes going up against, you know, his strength going up against this Colts D. Yeah, we're talking about a guy who has a PFF grade of 93, who threw for 5,000 yards for 50 touchdowns in essentially his first year starting, passer rating of like 114. There's not much that's phased Patrick Mahomes over the course of the season. Not many people have had any kind of success going up against him when he's got those numbers. But if anybody has had any kind of success against him, it's by coming after him with pressure and man coverage, essentially, on the back end. It's trying to man up and really getting after him aggressively up front with... um, with pressure, it's not the teams that have sat back and said, okay, Patrick, you can run around, you can throw no-look passes, you can do crazy things, let's see you win from a clean pocket. But Indy, Indy that's picked, what he does really Indy well. Indy their spots, though, last week against Deshaun Watson, kept him off balance with some slot blitzes and everything. So I do think they have to mix it up. It can't just be sit back and cover two all the time because, no. yeah, as, as much as we talk about Mahomes outside the pocket and his numbers outside of structure, just mind-boggling. 16 touchdowns, eight more than the next closest person, and over 300 yards more than the next closest person outside the pocket. Like you said, within the pocket, when it's clean and on time, he's been spectacular That's as well. why he's so devastating this year, because there's no answer. There isn't a game plan. It's like that Aaron Rodgers at his best thing. I don't know what you should do. Right. And that's what makes him so problematic. We've seen his stuff outside of structure was the stuff that was so fantastic in college at Texas Tech. And the question was, how could he do it from a clean pocket down in, down out? Well, from a clean pocket this year, his passer rating is 134, which is nine higher than anybody else. 134. Right. A passer rating, like a perfect passer rating is 158. And a big part of that's been this, you know, that's the combination of Mahomes being great, the scheme being really good, the playmakers being really good. You know, there's there's a lot working for him. <laughs> his, there. his touchdown interception ratio is 41 touchdowns to four from a clean pocket. Let me give you a couple. I know it's absurd. Right. It's ridiculous. A couple other interesting numbers to just wrap this up, okay? The Colts have allowed 297 receptions when uh, to open receivers. That's the most in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes has the highest percentage of open throws in the NFL and the highest percentage of open throws at or beyond the sticks. So special season from Mahomes, but also credit the scheme and the playmakers as well. Matchup to watch Travis Kelsey against Darius Leonard in the middle of that, that defense. Darius one. Leonard has given up a ton of yards to tight ends this season. Where are you going with your pick for this one, Sam? So... I think the Chiefs will win. However, I'm three games back of Nathan Yankee in the pick watch, and there's only seven games to go. I got you. So I need one of these to go my way. Otherwise, I'll be left with three games with three games to go, and that's not good. So I had to go with the Colts in this one. I figure they're the most likely of the four to spring an upset. Interesting. Really? Yeah. That's what I suggested, too. I could see see a shootout where... The right. Colts come out on top. So I, I'm going to take the Chiefs. I'm taking the, the home. The, I might take the home team in all of these. I'm taking the home team all right. in this one. One out of four down. We're flying. Uh, kind of. Still behind schedule, though, Sam. Kind of. Still behind schedule. Matt's got a timer. Just keep an eye on it, okay? There's a timer? Well, there is going to be. Okay, so starting right now, we've got to stay on point. Oh, Ready? Now there's Go. a timer. Okay. All right. Saturday night, Cowboys at the Rams. It feels like the preseason. These guys play each other out in L.A. every year in the preseason. Class of 2016 quarterbacks, Dak Prescott and Jared Goff, head-to-head. Cowboys and Rams, what are you looking for in this one, Sam? I mean, I think a big thing is the fact that Dallas is now on the road. 
you know, this has been a completely different team at home than it has been when they've had to travel. Um, this season, they were, what was their home record? 7-1 uh, and one at home versus 3-5 and five on the road. That's, again, this, they played the Seahawks. They looked really good at home. Their defense is phenomenal. I have questions about how well they're going to do that on the road. Uh, so I think generally this is a completely different team when they have to travel. The other thing is that as much as um, teams started to figure out this Rams offense later on in the year, I don't know that Dallas is a particularly good defense stylistically to attack the things that teams right. were attacking. So maybe they can, but they would have to run a different game plan than the one they used to run. And most teams don't like doing that. You know, right. Most teams do not like deviating from the thing that got them to where they are. There's very few people, you know, Bill Belichick or whatever, that will change their defense completely because it's the right thing to do. Right, week to week, everything changes. Versus the thing they're actually good at. So that's the thing to, the, to watch for me is what kind of game plan does this Dallas defense come out with? Do they just rely on being a good defense or do they actually attack the things that have been proven to slow down this Rams offense? And then obviously on the other side of the ball, the question mark for them is always... What kind of Dak Prescott are you going to get? You no, know, it's a it's a huge question because even as their offenses move forward, Dak hasn't really improved his play outside of that Week 17 game against the Giants that didn't mean anything. He played really well. Um, he had his ups and downs even just last week uh, in their wild card game against Seattle. Um, you're right though, the Cowboys defense. Let's focus on that side of the ball. They like to play single high, cover one, cover three, not completely like Seattle, but in that vein, right? Yeah. And you know, it's the two high teams, the teams that kind of sat back a little bit. And not so much softer zones, but they just had fewer guys in the box and invited the Rams to run and sat on their play actions. The Bears did it well. The Lions did it well. Those teams had success. So we'll see if the Cowboys can do that. But there's a lot of good matchups in there. Can we talk about the run game a little bit? Can we? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody likes to talk about the run game. But this will be fun. Todd Gurley behind this best best run-blocking offensive line in the league Mm -hmm. with the speed at linebacker that the Cowboys have, Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith. That's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Those, that matchup there. I mean, that's why it's interesting because this Dallas defense could play that way. You know, if they wanted to drop everyone back, flood the zones, try and take away yeah. the pass, and basically dare the Rams to run the ball on them the way other teams have, they could do it. And they're well set up to do it because those two guys have freakier range and speed than any other linebacker pairing in the NFL. Um, you know, Jalen Smith is probably one of the fastest point-to-point straight linebackers in the league. And Leighton Vander Esch was able to run down um, Evan Engram, who runs a 4-4 flat right. deep down the sideline in Week 17. So it's not like he doesn't have speed to burn as well. Those guys can definitely live with Todd Gurley, and they don't need to be crowding the line of scrimmage to get it done. So, yeah, that I think that little dynamic is fascinating, whether they'll be aggressive with those guys, whether they will drop them in to try and help out the passing game and and basically rely on their athleticism to come up and deal with Todd Gurley if and when it presents itself as a problem. Best linebacker pair in the NFL, Van Der Esch, 87.5 PFF grade, including the playoffs. Jalen Smith at 85.9. They combined for the second most defensive stops, those tackles in and around the line of scrimmage, second most in the NFL. So um, we always poo-poo the running game and all that stuff, but there's value in holding a team to two yards instead of five yards on first down, and that's where this, this, you know, Little matchup is going to be important. Well, the yards are just a bonus, Steve. It's, it's just that you oh, don't start. We're carry. not just, just keep carrying it. So the other thing about this is um, if the Rams have a plan B, because that was the big thing over the season, right? Once teams started to figure out how to defend this offense, you know, this Sean McVay magical system that can't be stopped. It's, un, it's, you know, it's, it's destroying people. 
Then later on, teams actually started to figure out how to deal with it. They did. And there was no sign that the Rams were going to adjust. They, they were dropping everybody off. Like, so when you hear people talk about it, it's like, well, teams took away the run game. So it started to falter. It's almost the exact opposite of what people, in fact, did. People backed off the run game completely. They dropped everybody into coverage. They flooded the underneath zones. They forced them. They basically dared them to run the ball. It's like, we're going to take away what you want to do, what you're trying to set up. And your alternative is to go, okay, I will go uh, Patriots on this and run the ball 40 times in the game. And the Rams never did that. In fact, if anything... They swung. That's balance, right? Balance right. is being able to win every way that teams allow you to. If anything, the Rams tried to turn into the skid and pass even more, and you know it, it, it worked against themselves. So I think this is kind of fascinating. Coming off a bye, we don't even know if Dallas will try and do this because, like we said, this is not really what they do on defense. But if they do come into this game with that game plan that's been proven to work, have the Rams figured out over the past few weeks that, okay, we'll – We'll take that, and we'll run the ball right down your throat every single play because that's the answer to the, the defensive question they're being posed, and they never did it so far. Are they prepared to now? Is it just because they missed Cooper Cup so much? No. Not I mean, realistic. But seriously, though, they, had, they were the team that was using 11 personnel. So that's right. running back, tight end, and three wide receivers. They used it about 95-plus percent of the time. Cooper Cup gets hurt. They have to go to two tight end sets, which is fine. You know, Gerald Everett is pretty good out there. Tyler Higbee. Um, so they go to much more of a tight end, you know, 12 personnel. So that's two tight ends, two wide receivers. And it just changed what they did a little bit. Robert Woods took a lot more snaps from the slot. Robert Woods, by the way, career year, 88 overall PFF grade. Um, but the Cooper Cup thing, I'm not saying he's demoralized this entire offense, but they had to change a little bit personnel-wise. They did. And they, you know, they pulled in Josh Reynolds, who played almost every snap after, from the point that he had to come in and start instead of Cooper Cup. And obviously, that's a significant downgrade. You know, Reynolds doesn't have anything like the grade that Cooper Cup does. Different style player, right. everything. But again, the teams were trying to take that away and at the expense of opening up something else. And the Rams right. never went to the thing that was being opened up. They just, they just didn't want to do that. Now, I don't, to me, if you're presented with that problem again, if you roll into this game and it becomes pretty evident early on that the, um, the Cowboys are adopting the same game plan that the Bears and other teams ran... This, become, this should become a Todd Gurley game. You know, as much as the run game doesn't matter, you should be carrying 40 times in this game because that's what they're giving you. They're giving you a five-man box and telling you to run into it with the best run-blocking offensive line in the league. Take it. Right. Yeah, so that we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that cat-and-mouse game. And, of course, uh, whether the run game is effective or not, Jared Goff off play action, they use it more than anybody else in the league. Uh, number three in yards per attempt off play action, 10 yards per attempt there. Uh, he had over 12 yards per target, so they like to stretch the field off of play action. There's a slight flaw in the timer Fade system we got here. We need the, um, I think every five minutes or so, you lose the, the light on it. All right, let's go to the other side of the ball. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys against uh-huh. the Rams defense. Amari Cooper, since week nine, two point, uh, here's the number, ready? Dak uh-huh. Prescott's time to throw from 2.85, 2.84 to 2.53. That's about three-tenths of a second quicker since Amari Cooper showed up. Just a lot. That's a massive. That's, that, that's what luck has cut his time down right. this season from his, career, from his career number. Now, I, I think the more we look at the, the time-to-throw number, it has nothing to do with the offensive line, just so people are clear. It's not how much time the offensive line is giving you. It's how much time the quarterback is taking, how much the scheme is taking. And having a receiver who gets open quickly shaves that time just dramatically. Yeah. So Dak is getting rid of the ball quicker. 
Amari is a top 10 receiver in our grades since coming over. 121.5 passer rating. And uh, that's obviously significant for this passing offense. Yeah, it is. I mean, Amari Cooper, we've always known he was a really talented player. He was the number one receiver on our draft board. That time, he was the number one graded receiver in college that year. Um, He was a fantastic player. His only real issue is every now and again, he'd go through these bouts of drops. Like, he would get this, and they would last seasons. Oh, 18 Um, is sophomore year. Right, which is kind of weird. A guy that will swing for an entire season forgetting how to catch the ball. Um, but that was really his only issue. In terms of route running, he's always been extremely good, extremely sophisticated, it's understands open. how to get open. Yeah. And as we keep saying, that is the thing for wide receivers. Forget how physically dominant they are, what they can do after the catch, what they can do in contested catch situations. Find the guy that gets open the most. It's the, yeah, absolutely the most important thing, especially, you know, not especially with Dak, with everybody, but Dak, everybody needs open, throw, uh, open guys to throw to. Uh, Aqib Talib is back. Mm-hmm. The passer rating against the Rams with him is 64.3 this year. Against him, 105.2. He's been significant back there. The Rams actually show up really good in our coverage numbers, even without him. Um, so I think that's what... I think the Rams come into this game, like people are forgetting about them. They're yes. the team that had that late right. season slide. People are forgetting about them, but I think the Rams are looking good for this matchup. That's a huge thing. People really have kind of forgotten that the Rams, for a good portion of this year, looked like the best team in the NFL. Um, and when you just look at the overall PFF grades, they're still the best-graded team in the NFL. Yeah. Number two is the Saints, who everybody is crowning right. as the Super Bowl champions. The Rams still have a better grade overall. I think the the consistent theme with most of the, with all the underdogs, except for the Chargers, I would say they're like this plucky... If everything goes well and the defense plays well, and you could you could see them pulling the upset, but a lot of things have to go right. I think that's the same thing with the Colts. I think it's the same thing with the Cowboys. It's the same thing with the Eagles when we get to the Eagles-Saints game. Um, the matchup to watch here, Aaron Donald against the Cowboys guards. Yeah. Connor Williams, the rookie, has struggled this year, and if he goes up against him oh God. for a big chunk of the game, Aaron Donald has a massive advantage. When he goes up against Zach Martin on the other side, he'll still win. It's awesome, though. Yeah. It's just such a fun matchup. Um, so who are you taking in this one, Sam? Rams. Home team, better team, better quarterback, Rams. I will also take the Rams. I just think they are um, they're strong in the right areas. I still think they can throw the ball. They can stop the pass. Um, the Cowboys have a shot if their defense really overachieves for another week, though. All right, let's go to the Sunday games. Los Angeles Chargers at the New England Patriots. I said Los Angeles Chargers. You I slipped did. up and said San Diego somewhere else this week. Sky. It's on people in the British Isles think you're a moron. The stupid British Isles people. No, no, I didn't mean that. That really helped, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that didn't help at all. They think I'm a moron. That's okay. It's my wife's fault because she insists on just calling them San Diego. And I said, <laughs> honey, I need to discuss the Los Angeles Chargers many times this week. Don't mess with my head. Uh-huh. And she did. I've, I was hearing San Diego over and over this week. Yeah. The good news is everybody else still does it. Yeah. Like nobody's batting a thousand for that. Everybody oh, it's keeps... okay. You just go, oh, I said San Diego, LOL, move right. on. My right. favorite thing was the, the picture from the Fox booth one day where Troy had like Los Angeles taped to the front of his monitor in That's giant sticky, in like a giant uh, sticky note. That's what I need. Yeah, you need one of those. What are we looking for in this one, Sam? Chargers, can they pull the upset? They're playing at 10 a.m. Again. Doesn't matter. Yeah. There's, uh, the snow forecast has been on and off throughout the week. There's okay. going to be snow. There's not going to be snow. It's going to be cold. It'll probably affect the pass game a little bit. Um, we talked about the Chargers' defensive game plan, all those safeties yeah. they put out there last week. That's a game plan they usually use against a pass-heavy team. 
So do they do that again against the Patriots? Take out their linebackers, and it's Jaleel Adai, Desmond King's up in the box, Derwin James is in the box. Do what's, they do that again? What's interesting about that game plan is that it, I think it only works against, essentially, Lamar Jackson, right? And even then, I think it required help to work. So we talked about this you know, in the office before, that the, those guys were put in there because they have the speed to get to the edge and make sure that Lamar couldn't just outrun the linebackers into space. Right. So they took away all the option stuff off the back of this um, run-heavy offense that the Ravens run. Now, that could easily have led to the Ravens giving the ball to Gus Edwards every play and him racking up like 200 yards on the ground where they just dominated in the first matchup. But the, uh, the interior guys from the Chargers really stood up to be counted. If you look at the, you know, the run defense grades from those guys, Melvin Ingram was able to play a fantastic game coming down inside, killing that. So instead of uh, Gus Edwards going off for this huge game, the kind of interior run defense or the front line at least not the the lightweight linebackers dominated so it It was really good so we never got to see what happens when you know marshall yanda gets to the second level gets his hands on a safety just buries him 10 yards off the line of scrimmage it never really became a problem i don't know they're, they're capable of doing that every week and if the same thing happened this week particularly with the beasts that the Patriots have in their offensive line, Shaq Mason getting his hands yeah. on a safety, like that's not going to go Trent well. Brown. Trent Brown just engulfing a safety. My whole thing with this, though, is to beat New England, you, you, you want to invite them to run. So the same game plan against the Rams. Like No matter what decline Brady's gone through, you know our fifth-graded uh, quarterback this year and all that stuff, he's still capable of putting together a good game, right? You'd rather take the ball out of his hands, put it in the run game's hands. Yeah. So if you put more safeties out there, you've got the range in the middle of the field where the Patriots love to throw the ball, especially off play action. You've got range in the middle, and then you invite them to run. Yeah. And the Patriots are the type of team, which is the opposite of what the Rams were doing, yes. right? When you invite them to run, they make the right call. You have a six-man box, and they've got the numbers advantage. They will run. Yeah. They usually don't bang their head against the wall. They take what's given. You can invite them to run the ball and then just hope your defensive line can have another big game well, that's the thing so that's why i'm not sure it's the best game plan because you invite them to do that they will do that and i think they're pretty well set up to do it so all you're doing is changing how they're moving the ball you're not but, actually stopping them do it but if you're bad against the run versus bad against the pass you might give up 24 points 21 points and you keep it tight if you're bad against the pass you give up 31 38 yeah and you're i mean in trouble. it's not like they're going to stop passing entirely i think really all you're doing is slowing down potentially the rate at which they're putting up points yeah it's not necessarily helping you prevent them put up points um i think the biggest thing in this game though is the other side of the ball it's this charges offensive line which has really been the thing that's held this team back for years but particularly this year they haven't had the same kind of injury laundry list that they've had in years past right they lost hunter henry earlier in the year and he may be back he's back um finally and it looked like oh no is this going to happen again but then they didn't have it stopped they didn't have this giant onslaught of injuries that they normally have and consequently they've been really good but their offensive line remains a real problem particularly when they've had to go into the bench because obviously this is like an NFL-wide problem, not just a Chargers-specific thing. Yeah, backup offensive linemen. Right. Starting five offensive linemen for most teams are not necessarily fantastic. The next five are terrible. They have pretty much no business being in the NFL. It's just that you need the warm bodies in case somebody goes down. 
right? And that's what we're Ouch, seeing. Sam. That, well, that's what we're seeing with the Chargers. Michael Schofield, Sam Tevy. I'm sure they're very nice guys, but they're terrible football players. And they have no business being on an NFL field. And yet they're going out there expected to stop the Patriots rushing the passer. And that's not going to go well. And it didn't go well. And they had to do it with the Ravens. The Ravens over two games pressured Phillip Rivers more than 50% of the time. Now, we've talked before that 45 is usually your cutoff point for forget about it. You're not winning. Yeah. Like that's Rivers' baseline at this point. That's what he has to deal with. This is still better than what they've been in recent years, though. I mean, and that's what's hilarious, like my, hilarious about it. My favorite description is Philip Rivers throw, throwing with like the walls caving in on him from all angles. There was so many plays over the last couple of years where they were collapsing from four different angles, yeah. and he's got his little sidearm flip over all of them, and he's still really good when he does it. So yeah, that'll be a matchup to watch for sure. Trey Flowers. They move him around quite a bit. Really, both sides of the ball. We saw last week Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram moving around quite a bit, lining up over guards, lining up over tackles. Uh, Trey Flowers will do that for New England. Is this a game where Adrian Claiborne can step up for New England and pick up some pressure? I mean, because they're they're again they're not a great, um, you know, pure pass rushing team, but they've got they've blitzed yeah. and gotten after quarterbacks a lot more than they did under Matt Patricia this mm-hmm. year. So Philip Rivers under pressure, we've seen a lot more zero blitzes. From the Patriots last week, that's when you've got no safeties behind. Phillip Rivers hit a huge pass down the field against a Ravens zero blitz. So the Patriots scheme is going to look a little bit similar to what they saw from the Ravens. The, I mean, the Chargers are a team that should easily be in Super Bowl contention, but they have the same issue that we talked about in terms of everything's on the quarterback. Like Phillip Rivers at the moment is being asked to do more than it's reasonable to expect Phillip Rivers to do. Now, he's one of the few quarterbacks in the NFL that's actually capable of doing it for an extended period of based, time. You mean just based off the offensive line? Because I see a pretty nice little supporting cast here, too. Yeah, based off the offensive line. Just Okay, yeah, based off the line, yes. But when you have Keenan Allen, you know, mismatch weapon, they use them almost split in the slot and outside. Mike Williams has really emerged in recent weeks, looking like a first-round pick. Antonio Gates can still get open, Yeah, despite you know looking Weirdly. like an offensive tackle. Hunter Henry might be back. Uh, Melvin Gordon's banged up. He's a little touchy, touch and go, but they've gotten great production out of their running back. I mean, they've got, they've got a really good group to throw to as well. They do, but the, the weight of pressure that, River, that Rivers is under at the moment is higher than it is reasonable to expect a quarterback to play well for any period of time under. Now, people have done it in the past, yeah, and they've done it for stretches, but at some point, the wheels fall off that. We saw it with Kirk Cousins earlier in the season first half he was playing really well under pressure and then eventually it came back down to earth it came back to haunt them and i think the same thing is going to happen at some point to the chargers i don't know if it's going to be this week or not but we're reaching the point where he's been doing it for a while now and it can't sustain for that long where was he ranked he was like top three regular season right well he started it's the same it's kind of the same as the kirk cousins thing right he was number one for a long time and then the longer this thing goes, the further down the list he's slipping. Right now, including the wild card round, he's eighth in passer rating under pressure. Oh, yeah, because last week it came down. And heading in the wrong direction. Bit. Yeah. So last week it came down quite a bit. So, uh, you know, Rivers, here's the other one, too, against man coverage. He's only, he's only 22nd in completion percentage. Patriots play more man coverage than any team in the NFL. So I think... The Patriots do a good job. They've, they're the third best in opposing completion percentage when playing man as well. So the Patriots do a really good job of just making throws difficult. Um, Brady against the Chargers defense. We've seen in the past these cover three, cover one teams, the Gus Bradley defenses. Brady's had pretty good success, especially when they sit in their zones. And the Chargers last week, they played just pure cover three zone. The, the Patriots feel like the team where you should go to the cover one 
part of that scheme, right? Play a little bit more yeah. man coverage. I want to see if the Chargers are a little bit more aggressive because the Patriots don't have a, a ton of good options against man coverage. Right. It's been the same. Unless uh, Gronk all of a sudden becomes superhuman after becomes the Becomes Gronk again? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, but Not for the, the Chargers, but, but for, you know, people watching. I would do anything to see peak Gronk, like Gronk comes back and going up against Derwin. Derwin. Derwin, for everything, we pulled out even more numbers that showed how awesome he is. Lowest yards per attempt when covering tight ends this year. This was one of the dumbest, like, draft misses in terms of why did he slip that far. I know. Like, this was a top five player, clearly, from everything we've seen in college, from athleticism, from everything. And for some reason, he slipped all the way to the Chargers. He's just, I mean, if you could duplicate him, you, I mean, because you, you, he can cover tight ends, he could play free safety, he could blitz, he could, do, he could literally do it all. Rush the passer, yeah. Rush, he could be a legitimate edge rusher. So right. Derwin could be the key here. Uh, I'm still going New England in yep. this one. Same home you know. team. Plus Both. this thing, the Philip Rivers pressure thing is going to be a problem. Well, you're you're holding on to that. Yeah, could be crazy in the snow. All right, the final game of the weekend: the Philadelphia Eagles traveling to New Orleans to take on the Saints. Can Nick Foles do it again, Sam? Team of destiny, Nick Foles. There's a little bit of hyperbole. Double going doink. A little bit of hyperbole this week. Uh, our friend is it Peter Schrager that yes. said it There's on some, Good Morning I, Football. I, I th- they must have been smoking something on that show earlier in the week. Because Don't I mess think, with my friends at Good Morning I Football. I think on the same day. Sorry, Peter. Peter Schrager Kyle, said that Nate and there's Kay. no quarterback he would take all time in a clutch situation over Nick Foles. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the NFL past the year 2017, but <laughs> there were players like Tom Brady and Joe Montana and you know, many, still many very clutch players yeah. over the years that have hey, played in more than like five playoff mm-hmm. games. I'm just saying there were a lot of very clutch guys over the years that played in more than five postseason encounters and did some pretty spectacular things in big moments. I might take one of those before I took Nick Foles, despite this being the most recent thing that's ever happened. So that was lunacy, right? That's just a ridiculous take. That's like Skip Bayless-esque. The other one that came out on the same day was Nate Burleson, who said that the Patrick Mahomes no-look pass was the single greatest thing he had ever seen in all of sports. He's done it multiple times, though. He did it all in the Big 12. of sports. The single greatest thing that's ever been achieved in all of sports. What about Secretariat? Triple Crown. This was the single greatest thing he had ever seen in all of sports. Yeah. I would suggest that that is also lunacy. A little bit of hyperbole from our friends over there. So Nick Foles, probably not the cl- most clutch quarterback of all time. No. But just a... One of the, people keep using this phrase, which I agree with, one of the weirdest careers of all time. Yeah. When you look at all the different things he's doing. Um, I don't want to write him off again. I'm not writing the, him off. But things are really stacked against them this week against <laughs> the Saints, right? He would. So we've said this. His two games in the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl last year were like 93, 94 PFF grades. Right. What's weird is that his run now, it's been good, but it's been bizarrely consistent. Like, it's been 79 basically every week for like four straight weeks. We've been talking about this guy having the single I don't think he's got 93, 94. That, that's so rare. But he has it in him. We've he seen it. He doesn't have it in him again this year, but it's so rare. Well, my point is, if they're going to win this game, he's going to need to get closer to 90 than he is 78. No, that's fair. I agree. Yeah, because last week he had two interceptions last week. One of them was iffy, but he had the same throw that Trubisky made. One of those was terrible. That was yeah. the roll and just chuck it into the end zone right to the safety. That was bad. He's got to cut back on those. Um, but just the the throws that he's making under pressure, you know, he's number one in passer rating under pressure during the regular season. Again, we know that's unstable. 
and we talked about this last week, he stands in there and he makes those throws. And I feel like this is the game. It goes either way. He's going to stand in and make those throws and look like a star again, or he's going to, or they're going to lose by fifty again. Yeah, that's. I, I, there might be something in between where it's a competitive game, but um, in the games where he's been spectacular, Nick Foles, the downfield passing game has been incredible. And maybe this is is this too cherry picking the stat here in the NFC Championship game, the Super Bowl, <laughs> and then the last three weeks of 2018. <laughs> this is the one where you're like, if you limit it to just as good games. This yeah, is but the it's number? still crazy because these are those like big games down the stretch where they had to win, okay. essentially. Okay, right. The that, big games where they had seller. to win, essentially. Yeah. 12 for 20 for 469, five touchdowns and an interception, passer rating of 122.9 on deep passes. That's crazy. And otherwise, he's 3 for 22. Yeah, so there's, there's two areas, two things that the Eagles need to happen for them to have a real shot in this game. One, Nick Foles needs to get closer to the NFC Championship slash Super Bowl Nick Foles from last year than he has been so far, even understanding that he's played well generally so yeah. far. The other thing that needs to happen is the improved secondary and coverage of the Eagles needs to have another insane game, right? Because yes. their selling point in defense is that they still have the best defensive front in the game, more total pressure than any other defense, the best win rate, the best pressure rate of any defense. But the Saints will do what they did to the Bears last week, which is just get the ball out quicker. Yeah, Drew Brees, and it the last time, sorry, for, for all the pressure that the Eagles get, and their trio of Fletcher Cox, Michael Bennett, and Brandon Graham combined for 230 pressures. That's number one in the NFL. We've talked about Fletcher Cox a bit here, 95 total pressures. They only got to Brees eight out of 30 dropbacks, right. which I know off the top of my head, Sam, is 26.7%. You shouldn't because be able to do that I can calculate straight um, away. percentages in my head. It's ridiculous. It's four for 15, which is a 267 batting average, which is 26.7%. Yeah, you, you know. It's a gift and a curse all at the same time. Yeah. Anyway, 26.7% is about 8% below the NFL average. That's way too low. So the best defensive front in the NFL could barely get a hand on Drew Brees in the first matchup. That's why they lost by a million. Right. Yeah. Right? And that's the problem, right, is that if, you're, if your secondary can't hold up its end of the bargain, you can kind of take away even the best pass rush in the NFL by just getting the ball out of your hands quickly. So. Right. The Saints are the kind of team that does that anyway. You know, they're pretty good at, at doing that as a general matter, of course. If that's the game plan, like the Eagles need to have an answer for that. And the answer has to be those guys in the back end having ridiculously good games. Now, that's Trey Sullivan. It's, he, had, he had three pass breakups last week. Cravon LeBlanc had a monster game last week. Russell Douglas, Avante Maddox. I and mean, Maddox, all of those guys. Right. And Maddox kind of started off having this great game until they actually went after him. He Double was, moves. He was going... He was coming after them so aggressively earlier on with those almost interception, you know, just couldn't get the feet down. He was breaking on that first move so aggressively that Chris on the broadcast was like, oh, Avante Maddox is like he's having himself a day. They better be careful going after him. And actually the opposite happened because they went, well, hang on. Look how look how eager he is on these passes. We can actually exploit that with a double move. So rather than avoiding going after them, they actually they actually exploited what he was doing and went, well, let's show him the first move and then hit him with a double move down the sideline and then let's do it again and again and again until he stops doing that. Right. So, but again, if you're, if you're going to get the ball out of your hands quickly, you might not have the time for the double move. You might have to go with the first move and Maddox can make those plays. So those guys collectively need to have a big day. Otherwise, they're, they're going to take away that pass rush and then you're in trouble. Drew Brees in the Dome, though. Can they do anything against Drew Brees in the Dome that's going to be crazy? Everybody's going to be excited. Sean Payton just brought the trophy into the locker room. I mean, they're ready to go. I mean, I think 
I think the thing that does um, play into their hands a little bit is that, in theory, you know what they're going to do. They're going to try and get the ball out of their hands quickly. So you might be able to cheat a little bit and play that first move and not have to worry too much about the double move. Now, maybe it'll get you later in the game, but at least early on, you might be able to go aggressively after their stuff and you know, get a couple of stops in there. And then, you know, the, it, football is such an interesting game because of the sort of game flow that you can kind of t- change a game by just a couple of drives early on. I, I will say it does seem like early, when, when they last played each other, we were talking about some of the busted coverages the Eagles had were like the most basic things, like a, yeah. a, a cover three corner who has no run responsibility biting on play action yeah. week after week. And I do feel like these guys have become more comfortable within the scheme. They've been able to do a little bit more. And they're a little bit more aggressive, you know, at the catch point and everything. The, some of the throws breezed through at the catch point in that last game. Those guys were oblivious. There was one where it looked like the corner was in position. Then he pressed the wrong button on Madden and ran away. <laughs> yes, it was I like you, you accidentally hit the stick that you know that moved yeah. him away from the ball. I mean, so there were some plays that were just so atrocious back then. I don't think it's going to be as easy for the Saints. No, it isn't. They caught the Eagles at a great time to tear them apart. They caught the Eagles. That was the game where all these guys were thrown into the lineup, and it was like, oh, God. Like, what have they been reduced to trotting out? But part of that was that some of those guys come back healthy, and then the other guys have had a bunch of games in the season to develop, right? Right. These guys that were such a disaster when they were first thrust into action have actually become half-decent players in the back end. Guys like Avante Maddox albeit coming off a really, you know, being exploited in the second half of that game. Cravon LeBlanc, Trey Sullivan. Like, Sullivan was playing corner back then on the outside, getting toasted. Now he's playing free safety where he's more comfortable and playing well. So, yeah, it will be a different Eagle secondary, but I think that, that game at least shows how dangerous this New Orleans offense is and how, you know, what, how things can go badly in a hurry if you don't get a handle on it. Yeah, Michael Thomas, number two in the NFL in yards per route. 2.66, caught 86% of his targets. Saints O-line against that Eagles D-line, I think, is the matchup to look for here because the Saints O-line, uh, only 7.7 pressures per game, second best in the NFL, ninth lowest pressure rate against the Eagles defensive line that we just put on our front seven rankings right. at profootballfocus.com, the but number one. Fletcher group. Cox is the guy up front that'll need to have the big game because yeah. re- the, the Saints are very good in the tackle positions. Uh, they're yep. probably going to limit those. The edge rushers... Also, if you're going to get quick pressure, it's going to come up the middle. So Fletcher Cox against those interior players that aren't nearly as good. Or moving Graham inside. Right, you know? needs to have this dominant game where he just starts throwing people back into Drew Brees and trying to keep them off balance that way. All right, who are you taking in this one? Yeah, the Saints. Also taking the Saints. Nick Foles' magic runs out in this one. Oh, yeah. I guess Ooh, it has to, right? Now you're doubting yourself. This could be the other upset. I'm not you saying can, it's going to happen. You I'm can just saying another game on Nate. There's another 15 points worth of PFF grade of Nick Foles' potential oh, out there. Well, Drew Brees, too. Whatever. Whatever. All right, we're both taking the Saints in this one. So that's your four games recapped. And then let's get, let's get some other insight on these games. Sometimes we just do it purely from the PFF perspective. Let's get it from the former NFL player perspective. Yeah. All right, we're very excited to have Ross Tucker with us here, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, among other podcasts. Is that right, Ross? Yeah, I got a bunch of them. I mean, I started the Ross Tucker Football Podcast a while ago, and then after a year or two, I thought, man, everybody loves fantasy, and I'm not playing anymore. I kind of like to get into something that, that makes me feel like I'm engaged. So I started the Fantasy Feast Podcast with Evan Silva, and obviously – uh, gambling's a big deal, so Steve Fezzik 
joins me as well on the Even Money podcast. And I even dive into the draft a little bit with the college draft with Fran Duffy from the Philadelphia Eagles, which I really enjoy too because it gives me a leg up, you know, when the draft comes around and having a better feel for these guys as they enter the NFL, like you guys do with the, you know, the the, the grades you guys do on college players. Which, by the way, I don't. I, I know you're bringing me on to ask me questions, but. I am curious, now that you guys have a decent amount of data, or now that you've been watching it for a while, um, I, I'm curious how much you see players improve or not based on what you saw in college versus the NFL. And, and like, if you guys can really see a guy sort of developing in front of your very eyes based on his PFF grades. Well, yeah, it's a it's a good question. I and I appreciate you flipping the tables there a little bit. That's cool. Um, I, you know, I don't know if you have a different take, Sam, but I think a lot of what you do see in college, you, you do see in the NFL as well. If you're looking for the right things, I think what we found from our grades is there's just certain things you can trust a little bit more than others. So, you know, our defensive line grades have been really good. They've translated extremely well. Um, our quarterback grades overall have 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 translated pretty well. The further you get away from the ball, it's a little bit harder to project. So a guy like Deion Jones, who we did not love coming out, we've seen him absolutely develop those physical tools that he had at LSU and become one of the best you know, straight coverage, overall linebackers, but especially in coverage. So um, I think it's, it's a little position by position. But yeah, it's, it's been interesting to see guys that we really liked or didn't like and just kind of see that play out in the NFL. And you can definitely see, um, looking at college players specifically, you can see this season-by-season season progression of a lot of these guys where they start off their first year as graded pretty badly, graded you know, negatively, and then they're, they're average the next year and they get really good by the end of it. Um, and the confusing guys are the ones that take a step back in that final year. You sort of see this progression upwards, and then for some reason they go back again, and you're left confused. What is? What do you do with that? Yeah, what do you do with like the down senior year? So we're still learning a lot, but um, the, the you know what you know you know what one of the best things. I mean, first of all, I love everything you guys do, but one of the best things about what you guys do that I think is better than uh, even some NFL teams is I think a lot of times. Uh, coaches and front office executives, they they really want to uh, they, they want to be able to I don't want to say put you in a box, but they want to know who you are and they're very quick to decide right. who and what you are. Right. But you know we've all seen it. Players get better, players get worse, and sometimes people don't realize that it manifests itself when like a coach will bring a player on his team that he coached four or five years ago. Well, that guy's not the same guy anymore, yeah. and and usually he's not as good, and stuff like that happens all the time, and it's like no, I, and I, I'm amazed how long, you know, teams actually hold on to their college grades when evaluating NFL players. It's like, you know, I, I can remember I got cut like my third or fourth year, and I was looking for a job and doing workouts. My agent said, well. They didn't have a very good college grade on you. Oh. I was like, what? Like, yeah, started, like things have happened started, since then, right? I started 20-some games now. Like, right. they didn't have a very good grade when I was blocking the dudes from Brown. <laughs> like, I mean, give me a break. I saw it in baseball too, Ross. It's the same thing. They're like, oh, your uh, curveball's terrible. I'm like, I haven't thrown a curveball in four years. What are you talking about? Just update <laughs> update your scouting reports. Uh, no, it, it's, it's, it really has been fun to watch uh, – all of these things evolve. And I do think if there's one mistake, I think that coaches make 
and we saw this a little bit last year too. I think coaches are good. They know what good looks like. They're like, hey, this guy's good. I, I know that this guy's good. I think coaches' mistakes are their, their thoughts of, of where they could fix a guy and say, well, this guy's deficient here, but I'll fix it. And I, I think that's what we've run into. And, and we're a lot more black and white with, well, this is a deficiency that doesn't always get better. So maybe that's not worth the risk where a coach is a lot more willing to say, oh, no, I'll fix him. I'll take care of it. And that, that was like the Josh Allen thing last year where everybody's oh yeah we'll fix josh allen's accuracy and this and that or whatever it might be when it's like you know don't put too much stock in your own coaching ability and you know trust uh what you see right now because a lot a lot of it's going to carry over to the nfl and you know what the flip side to that is i talked to a lot of people that didn't even know what to do with patrick mahomes college video right you know they were like they're like yeah i mean he does a couple things every game that i've never seen anybody else do right but he doesn't really do the stuff that on a consistent basis that we want our guys to be able to do in the NFL. So I don't really know what to do with that. And evidently Andy Reid did. Right. <laughs> no, it's huge. And, and it worked. And I think that's a, like, that's a huge thing with this Mahomes stuff is the guys that liked him coming out are all about taking a victory lap over that right now. But if, if your stance on Patrick Mahomes coming out was, I have no idea if this is going to translate or not the next level. I think you were right. I mean, the stuff he did, some incredible, spectacular things in college, which he's still doing now, obviously. But the huge unanswered question mark was how can he play within the structure of an offense? Because he just didn't. And, and now we're seeing that within this Andy Reid system, obviously he can do that very well. But there's no way you could, I think, confidently known that based off his college tape. Yeah, it's also it also feels like this perfect storm, right? Not to take anything away from Mahomes. He has been special, but the scheming has been great. The playmakers are great, and it's helped him play within structure, and then he gets to do all the special stuff outside of structure as well. So I do think it's this perfect storm and a perfect segue into Colts Chiefs, guys. Nice. nice. Look at Colts you. Colts Chiefs, Ross. I mean, do you think that this Colts defense can even slow down Mahomes in this passing attack? I think they can slow him down. I, I just think it's so interesting to me that I, I don't feel like Mahomes really had a bad game the whole year. I mean, he had some games that weren't as good as others, but even in his bad games, he was productive to get them, you know, points and, and get them. So they had a chance to win the game. Right. You know, I think for the Colts, not really having a, a great, you know, rusher and not being able to just get pressure with their base guys. I'm really curious to see what kind of pressure packages Eberflus comes with. I know he likes Kenny Moore off the slot. Darius Leonard had seven sacks as an off the ball linebacker as a rookie, which is amazing. And, you know, it's the balance, as you guys know, of, okay, let's try to heat him up and let's try to pressure Mahomes versus. You know what we really don't want to have happen? We really don't want to give up 80-yard Tyreek Hill touchdowns. Right. Right? So, and if you're going to bring pressure, you know, you're going to make it a lot less likely that Tyreek Hill beats you deep. Like any coach, they're going to try to change it up and try to keep Mahomes off guard. I'm fascinated to see how that works out. Yeah, and he had a passer rating of 124.6 when blitzed. Now there were certainly times I thought New England did a good job of blitzing him and just you know he, you know throwing him throwing off throwing him off his rhythm just enough. But over the course of the season, they've been pretty good against the blitz against a four man rush. So I do think you know to your point, it's going to be about picking and choosing, uh, you know where they come after uh, Mahomes. 
other side, I mean, the Chiefs haven't done a whole lot defensively. They, they haven't slowed down a whole bunch of teams. I mean, Andrew Luck and this team, they're equipped to at least go head-to-head with Mahomes, don't you think? Yeah, and it's funny, Sam, I don't know if you saw from when you were on my podcast, uh, the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, but I actually quoted you in my column at The Athletic this week about the Colts and Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard. And, Steve, I don't know if you got a chance to listen, but I'm just fascinated by the fact that Chris Ballard's first two picks were arguably at the two least important positions on either side of the ball, left guard and off-the-ball linebacker. (laughs) And yet both of those guys have really helped to get this team to another level. I I, I don't know if I can remember, and I'm sure you guys have unit grades, I, I don't know if I can remember a unit improving as much as the Colts offensive line did over the course of one season. Earlier in the year, they were not good. And now they're running over the Texans with Marlon Mack. Luck's barely getting touched. And they're doing it. I know they've heavily invested with the left side. But they got Glowinski, who Seattle gave up on on the right side. And then Braden Smith. I mean, you know, he was a guard at Auburn. They tried him in the spring at tackle. It didn't go well. It's like, well, we can't do that. Move him back to guard. And now he's been good at right tackle. I do think this is a high-scoring game. I'll take the Chiefs in a close one. But pretty much like all these games, I wouldn't be surprised if the Colts won at all. I think it ends up being like 31-28, something like that. Right. Now Braden Smith's going out there and slowing down J.J. Watt and and Wild Card Weekend. That's a, a hell of a learning curve for him. Um, what about the other uh, the other first game, the, the Dallas Cowboys at the Los Angeles Rams? Same kind of story. The, the Rams have got this incredible, potent offense. But late in the year, a couple of teams seem to have figured out what to do and how to slow down that team. Does Dallas have the, the game plan to do that? It's not really the, the style of defense that they play. And if they do, have the Rams figured out what plan B is yet? Because... That was the other thing that kind of characterized those games is that the Rams, they didn't have an answer when teams slowed them down. No, you're right. And so I, I look at this, you know, this is another one. And we discussed this on, on the Even Money podcast. I, I don't understand the betting line here. I mean, first of all, there will be no home field advantage. I mean, I bet you there's as many Cowboys fans there as Rams fans in Southern California. So they're not getting the three points for that. So For the Rams to be seven-point favorites, they're telling you they think the Rams are a 10-point better team than the Dallas Cowboys. I just don't see that. I mean, they don't do a great job of stopping the run. Here comes Zeke Elliott, and I love all the NFL running backs. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a guy make people look as bad as Saquon Barkley makes NFL players look at times. But Zeke Elliott's unbelievable. I mean, he is... His contact balance, he is extremely impressive to me. They ran the ball right down the throat of the Seahawks. They totally stuffed the run. Now you got Gurley coming in, a little bit gimpy, so we don't really know what to expect from him. Their their defense, I love watching. They play so hard. They're so physical. Leighton Vander Esch's change of direction for his side. I don't know if you guys ever met him in person. I met him. At the, uh, at the NFL draft, he looks like Drago from Rocky IV. <laughs> Love it. And he's, dude, he's like 6'5", 250. I'm watching him on tape. He looks like a cat out there. Uh, Jalen Smith reminds me a little bit of LeVar Arrington, a guy I played with, in the sense that it's like he's got rocket boosters up his butt 
when he's going to try to explode into a play. I just love the Cowboys' defense. I don't get it. I mean, they're putting a lot of faith in Jared Goff. I think Dak's played pretty well two weeks in a row. If I had to pick a road team to win, an underdog to win, it would be the Cowboys. Oh, interesting. Do you you think people are just, you know, a little down on the Rams because of the way the season ended and forgetting just how good they were for the first, you know, three quarters of the year, though? Yes, I think we're all on some level prisoners of the moment. And, you know, there's a little bit of trepidation for me with the Saints in that regard because they didn't exactly finish like they were playing in the middle of the season either. And the thing that I've come to realize you really have no idea what the bye is going to do for teams. True. You really don't. I mean, there are teams that come out of the bye, and they're raring, and they're awesome. Other teams, they look sluggish. I've really given up in the playoffs trying to understand how much that makes an impact. I just know that in the last five Super Bowls, it's been nine number one seeds and one number two seed. Right. So playing a home helps, and having a bye helps. So I'll take the Rams, but I don't feel real good about it. I think if anybody pulls off the upset, it's Dak and the boys. All right, let's get to the Sunday matchups. The Los Angeles Chargers traveling across the East Coast to the East Coast again, taking on the Patriots. Some snow, potentially. They've been on and off with what the, what we're going to get. Either way, it's probably going to be cold. But, you know, New England's had a bye for the last 87 years or whatever it is. This might be the toughest divisional matchup they've ever had because the Chargers are just such a well-rounded team. You think the Chargers can pull this upset? That's a good point, Stephen. And I really think that the Chargers might have top to bottom the best team. And you look at, okay, their running back's good, their wide receivers are good, their quarterback's good, their guards could be a little bit better, but whatever. Uh, Defensively, they got a bunch of really good players, difference-making players. I was very impressed by Gus Bradley's game plan and how those guys played against the Ravens. You know, the Ravens were playing great and the chargers came in and that game really wasn't even close for the most part. I give the chargers a good chance in this game. I guess my issue is I think it's going to be a close game and it's really hard to go against the Patriots in a home playoff game, especially when it's close. You know, I just, Let's say it's a field goal game either way, okay? Are you going with Belichick, Brady, and Gaskowski, or are you going with Anthony Lynn, Philip Rivers, and the Money Badger? Right? Like, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go with the Patriots to win a game, a close game by a field goal here. What about the the final game of the weekend, the the Eagles and the Saints? We've got. The Nick Foles magic, does that continue? And then the most interesting matchup, I think, might be this idea that the Eagles have the best defensive front in the game, but they were barely able to touch Breeze the last time they played because the Saints are really good at getting the ball out of his hands quickly when they need to. So does it actually matter that they have this great defensive front? I think it does because I think a couple things. Number one, Saints O-line's a little beat up. You know, we'll see if Armstead plays. Even some of the guys, you know, that we know are, are supposed to play, probably Andrews, Pete, and Bushrod, they're a little bit banged up, too, coming into this one. And I think one of the major differences between this game and the first matchup, not only Nick Foles, obviously, but the Eagles secondary is playing a lot better. I, I don't know how much you guys have watched Devontae Maddox. I freaking love that kid. Now, he got beat on some double moves last week by Allen Robinson, but I mean, he's done a nice job at nickel, at corner, and at safety as like a 5'9 rookie fourth-round pick. I just love 
the way he plays. And then you've got on the other side, Rasul Douglas has been better, and Craven LeBlanc, who I think they got off the couch. He was reading Pro Football Focus on his couch, and they got him and signed him, and he's really helped at the nickel spot. So I don't think that Breeze will be able to get rid of the ball as quickly this time because I think the Eagles' corners are a little bit better. Now, they might be susceptible to the double moves like we saw, but I do think they'll do a pretty darn good job of getting in Breeze's face. Fletcher Cox, I mean, I think he's the best bull rusher in the NFL. He, he straight up lifts dudes in the air as he yeah. knocks them back six yards. It's incredible. I think it's going to be a terrific game. I just can't pick against the Saints in the Superdome. <laughs> I've been there twice. That place, I can't even hear my brain. I, I can't even hear anything when I'm there. So I, I, I can't imagine picking a road team to win there. And you're on the sideline this weekend. Are you ready for all the noise? I am on the sideline. I am ready for the noise. And I, I don't know if you guys know this. I'm ready to see uh, my buddy before the game. Alex Anzalone is from my high school, tiny uh, Wyoming, Pennsylvania. And he's made a bunch of plays for them this year for the Saints at, at linebacker. And he grew up a big Eagles fan, just like we all did outside of Philly. So this will be this will be fun for him. I guarantee he's getting some text messages from buddies being like, come on, man, just let us win this one playoff game, please. And he's texting back like, uh, no, you got your Super Bowl last year. Let me get one this year. I love it. That's great. He's played more NFL snaps than he played college snaps. So it's been good to see that story. He really, I mean, he had five years at Florida and, you know, could barely get on the field. It's been great to see him uh, contribute the way he has with the Saints. So, uh, well, enjoy all yeah. the games, Ross. I, I, yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Ross. Uh, do you want to plug out uh, your 75 podcast that you're on <laughs> one more time? Ross Tucker Football Podcast, if you just want to feel awesome about yourself and reach a higher level of enlightenment. Who doesn't? Fantasy Feast Podcast, if you love fantasy football. Even Money Podcast, I was up five units for the playoffs last week. I'm, I'm a playoff performer, evidently. <laughs> and then the College Draft Podcast, to get you guys ready for the College Draft. And they're all awesome, and they're different from the incredible podcast, the Pro Football Focus uh, puts out so you can listen to both you have enough time i just decided yeah perfect <laughs> awesome thanks ross much appreciated enjoy the games and we would uh, love to have you back again absolutely steve i gotta get you on mine uh, again soon they gave me sam i i asked for the guy that's not 610 so yeah. they gave me sam this time yeah that's the way to do it sorry they got you the b squad we'll, we'll get together soon though all right see you guys thanks ross yeah all right, special thanks to Ross. It was nice uh, getting a little different perspective on there. I like how he uh, also turned the tables and asked us a few questions as well. Yeah, that was unexpected. It was. I was unprepared for his first questions. Mm. Uh, Ross is great. He's one of our heroes because he does so much work, and we just we uh, we see the work that he does, and you know we try to emulate some of it. Right. We've you know the the PFF empire is constantly expanding, and in our little studio here, we've had to have you know inspirational figures on the wall, guys that. Remind us to do a little certain something. So we've got Paul Burmeister up that we've talked about before. That's for our energy level. Right. right. Teaches you to shout. It sounds silly, but you should just shout. It comes across better, etc. Probably not in podcast, but whatever. Um, Ross Tucker is one of, our, one of our inspirational figures up on the wall. Yeah, because he just... Because you've always, always got time for more. He's, he's, oh, you always have time for more. He's always so positive. I mean, he... He just uh, brings the enthusiasm. Yeah. He just, you know, a lot of things that we try to emulate. So nice to have Ross on the podcast. Hopefully do it again soon. 
That'll do it for us this week. Everybody enjoy the divisional round games. We'll be back again next week on Monday, recapping all the games. And then next week, we're also going to get into a little draft. We'll preview the conference championships, and we will start a little bit of draft coverage. We'll kick you out, throw Mike Renner back in here. There's a lot of Mike Renner fans. Are there? That have been waiting for him to return. Okay. All right. That's fine. They'll be back. They're your fans, too, but Mike Renner fans are excited. He will be on the pod next week. So everybody have a great weekend, and we'll talk again on Monday. quick break to tell you guys about nfl game pass the only way that you can replay every game all season long you can relive all the gutsy calls crazy catches wild comebacks and breakout stars from every game every week it's all the action all the football you can handle all in one place so every game that we're talking about right now you guys can re-watch it after the fact i'm gonna be going back and you guys can too go check out lamar jackson in week one go check out dak prescott and what that cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.